You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Welcome to this week's edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast as we get you ready for the Seahawks playoff game against the Detroit Lions. I am Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for your Seattle Seahawks, joined every week by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. John, are we ready for the playoffs? Ready as we're ever going to be, right? Are you ready to rock? Sure. Maybe there's a song about that you could sing. <laughs> there is. I'm going to spare everybody, though, from uh. actually singing that song. What I think we should give people, though, as we go into the playoffs, and John, this is something that you and I have talked about and our producer, NASA, have talked about. You know, for all that you want to pick apart a team's weaknesses or flaws or look at why this particular year for the Seahawks is different than the last four years, it's worth pointing out that this team is doing something that not very many other teams can say that they have done. Yeah, and I completely get from a standpoint of the fans where you, you want to look at, you know, you, you kind of look at everything on the small scale of right now and the run game isn't what you like or the red zone or whatever. But if you just step back for a minute, it's six teams are looking for new head coaches right now. 20 teams are home. They're done for the year. The Seahawks have won 10 games or more, five straight years. They've been to the playoffs, obviously, all five of those years. Five of the last six years in the postseason. This is a franchise that, until this recent run, had had double-digit wins five times total, never back-to-back, and now they've done it five in a row. So that's really hard. I mean, you're basically talking about the Patriots, who somehow have been doing it for two decades, and the Packers. And that's basically it with these teams that have stayed consistent and winning and not had these dips where, I mean, look at where Carolina is. They had a mm-hmm. great year last year. They go 15-1. They're out of the playoffs. It's really, really hard to do. Even Denver, who we saw in the playoffs, yeah. they go back to the Super Bowl last year, and then they have dropped off. And when you say that it is basically the Patriots and the Packers, you're absolutely right. You mentioned that the Seahawks have had five straight playoff seasons, five straight years with 10 wins or more. Only Green Bay and New England have more consecutive playoff appearances. Each of those teams have eight. So the Seahawks are an elite company. Yeah, and they've won at least one playoff game every one of those. Yeah. They've been at least for the divisional round. So it's, yeah, and again, like I'm not, you know, that's not to say the Seahawks don't have things they need to get better at, and they've got some issues to sort out if they're going to have a nice playoff run here. But sometimes it's worth kind of stepping back. And one way to do that is, remember the guy, you talk to the guys who haven't been, in that situation, you know, if, if it's Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner, that's all they know. But then you go talk to Marcel Reese. He played eight years in Oakland, never had a winning season, never went to the playoffs. Taba Rubin had one seven and nine year and went like four and 12 and five and 11 every other year, played for five head coaches. Those guys really appreciate it. And Cliff Averill, he went 0-16 as a rookie. Then he won a Super Bowl, and now he's in this run of, for him, four straight years of doing this. So, those guys can really kind of get that message home to everyone else to, to appreciate where they where they are right now. Yeah, and I think that that is the – maybe if there is a downside to being so good at winning and being consistent, it's that the bar is set really it high. Is. And we expect it to look a certain way. And the Seahawks team doesn't look like any other that we have seen under Pete Carroll on either side of the ball. And when you talk about those veterans and just what they bring on that perspective side, here's the other thing that Cliff Averill said – that I thought was worth noting, and Pete has said this, and Daryl Bevel has said this, it's also the element of having fun. 
Yes, there is work to do in the playoffs, but if the only thing you look at is that matchup and are those numbers and you don't treat it like every other week, you're kind of missing what you've worked the entire season for. Yeah, and that's true. And, it, you know, I think part of that is you should just appreciate the moment and have fun because, as you said, that's what they were for. But you're also going to play better if you're just relaxing in the moment. And Tom Cable talked about this. is probably more true for that group than any other. This offensive line is really young. It's one of the few groups that isn't full of – guys who have a lot of playoff experience. Mm-hmm. Justin Britt does. Gary Gilliam does. Mark Lewinsky played one game last season. The other two guys are rookies. So that group, if they get tense and think, oh, my God, it's the playoffs and it, try to do stuff different, they're going to be in trouble. But if they go out and relax and have fun and enjoy it, they've shown – look, no one's going to say that's been the most consistent group on the team. But it, they've also done some really good things at times. Russell Wilson's getting sacked at a lower rate per drop back than any other time in his career. So that's and a he group. has been sacked fewer times this year yeah. than so, last year. Yeah, so it's, you know, and they've, I know there's been a lot of focus on the run game, understandably, over the course season they haven't got done, but they've shown they can do it. They went four games. They went a month averaging 160 yards a game. So to me, if that group can, as, as Cable said, just kind of enjoy the moment, relax, and be themselves, they got a decent chance to, to do some good things that might surprise some people who have just heard all year, oh, the Seahawks don't have an offensive line. Right. And I think if they do that earlier in the game, because we have seen them do that in the second half of the last yeah. couple of games, but to start off that way, and as we look at the matchup this week, you know, you don't just want to look at the numbers and say, well, this is a good matchup. But considering that we haven't played the game, this is all we have. And this matchup actually looks like it favors the Seahawks in a few different ways. I think starting with the offensive line and the running game, the Seahawks finished 25th this year in rushing, which is uh, one of the lowest. Not what we're used to. Yeah, that we have seen because in the previous four seasons, the Hawks had never ranked worse than fourth in the league. Now, you look at that and you say the the Seahawks have problems in the run game. Well, let's take a look at Detroit's defense, and they are 20th in rushing yards per carry this year, 18th in rushing yards allowed. That's the lowest rank of any NFC playoff team. So if you're going to have a struggle – at least it matches up well with the other team. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, this is the line. No one's going to say the defense is the strength of the Lions. I mean, they're a team that relies a lot on their quarterback. They've come back in a lot of games. It's not a bad defense by any means, but it's a defense that if you're doing your stuff right, you should be able to move the ball. You should be able to score some points. It's, you know, these teams really on paper match up pretty evenly They're in a lot of ways. So it's, you know, it should be an interesting one. And uh, the – Detroit defensive line also is not one that's going to bring a lot of pressure. Yeah. And as you've mentioned previously on these podcasts, that's really what gives those guys up front the hardest time. Yeah. I mean, you look at the defenses for the most part. In the Green Bay was the turnovers. That was kind of the outlier. But the other games where the offense has struggled to get going, it's been against those teams that either have just overall a really strong line or that one or two just dominant, especially sometimes the interior guys, the Aaron Donald, Clay's Camels of the world. Those teams have given the Seahawks more trouble than any. Good news for them, there aren't a lot of those defensive lines left in the playoffs. So if if there's an area that the Seahawks you know, have struggled, kind of the consistent struggle this year, that they could have a break in the playoffs, it might be that. And when you talk about Detroit and kind of the strength of that team being the offense, they've had some problems in the last few weeks. 
it's been slowed down quite a bit with the injury to Matthew Stafford, who I know is still playing and he's still completing 60% of his passes. But prior to the injury, he was completing close to 70% of his passes and his touchdown to interception ratio, not what it was no. the first part of the year. Yeah. And, you know, it's much like with Russell Wilson early in the year, it's, you know, it's admirable. He's guiding it out and they're going to, everybody's going to say that he's, you know, doing a good job. And, but as we saw with Russell Wilson, it, you just you're not the same player. You can't be when you have an injury that affects the way you're doing it. And so, even if Matt Stafford limited is their best chance to win, and they believe that, and we all believe that because he's a great quarterback, he just hasn't quite been the same guy. Now, the one thing that'll be interesting—it's the kind of injury that they they seem to think it's getting a little better with time, and he gets more used to it because he's thrown with a different thing. So. You never know when that game is going to be that he fully feels comfortable with it, and then all of a sudden, look out, he could go back to being the, the old Matt Safford. But, I mean, they're still very dangerous. That passing game, he's got a lot of weapons, and they're not shy about using them. So, Well, he's got a lot of weapons, one of whom we know is Golden Tate. Here's the other thing. Detroit does not turn the ball over at all. And we know that and- from from these parts, we know how much that makes a difference. I mean, the Seahawks, they're 7-0 when they win the turnover battle this right. year. And so I guess my question back to you, if you were scheming for this, who needs to have a big game to make sure that Matthew Stafford does not get comfortable at any point in time? Well, if I'm scheming for this, the Seahawks are in real trouble. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a little above my pay grade. Now, you know, I don't think it's a big game issue. I I mean, if, if you're talking about who's going to have a big game that can make the difference, I think it's the pass rush that we've seen look really good lately. And Frank Clark, 10 sacks. To me, that's like, if you're looking at the difference makers, it could come there. To me, a lot of it, though, is if Steven Terrell can just be solid and take care of the back end, which for the most part he has. But the problem with that position, it only takes one play to be really obvious if it's not right and to make a huge difference in the game. And that's part of what Earl Thomas, what makes Earl Thomas so great is those occasional 80-yard touchdown passes like we saw against Arizona. Those just never happened. So if Stephen Terrell can, again, he doesn't need to be Earl Thomas. That's completely unfair to Stephen Terrell. If he can just be solid like he has been 95% of the time and not give up that home run play, I really like this defense. If, if you make a team go 80 yards on short plays and work their way down the field and don't give up those explosives, this team's really hard to score against. Well, and just knowing that they're going to have to put the ball in the air a lot. Yeah. Right, because they haven't been able to run it very well, and the Seahawks' defense is what three point four a carry, best in the league in terms of yards per carry allowed. So, you know they're going to be throwing it. So theoretically, you know it could be cold and wet. The, the chances might be there to get the ball. Well, yeah, and you talk about not being able to run the ball. They placed Theo Riddick on injured reserve last week. He had 357 rushing yards, led the Lions. That was the lowest total for any team's leading rusher this year. And here's the other thing I kind of found interesting. When you talk about throwing the ball, they will even be throwing the ball to their running backs who finished in the top 10 in receptions, receiving yards by uh, by running backs, and receiving TDs. That That's all for running Backs yeah. usually do not have receiving yards. Tell you what, though, this defense, largely because of the two linebackers, Bobby Wagner and K.J. Wright, they're really good against these running backs. I mean, go back to Atlanta, that, that two-headed attack of Hester and Freeman. That's one of the best in the league, and they really kept that duo in check. And if, if, if they're going to be relying on running backs to be making plays in the passing game, I like that matchup for the Seahawks a lot. I do too. And I like what we have seen from Frank Clark and you mentioned that and, and uh, 
He's been making headlines a lot the last few weeks. For the most part, it's because of his play and his get-off. And what have we seen from him even as the years progressed? You know, I think it just happens with a lot of young players. They just get more comfortable and learn the game. It's defensive line in particular. Both sides of the ball, the line might be the hardest adjustment from the college game to the pro game, just both in terms of the physical side of it and just all the different things they're asked to do in there. And he's, you know, it's it's been sort of a natural progression of he's playing more, he's more confident, he's better. He's just doing everything better, and it's showing up. I mean, 10 sacks, that's a legit season, especially for a guy who's, you know, he's a 60% playtime guy. He's not a starter. It kind of reminds me of what they had out of Averill and Bennett when they weren't starters. Is this guy who's, you're not asking him to do as much, but he's really productive when he's in there. Yeah. Yeah, he has made a huge difference. He's taking on a little bit more of a leadership role too. And uh, he's got... uh... He's got some lofty goals and expectations for himself. He does. And that's, I mean, good for him. He knows, you know, he's second round pick and he's, he knows he's got two great defensive and veteran guys in front of him to learn from. And that, you know, maybe somewhere down the road when those guys are gone, he might have to step in and be a both more of a leader and a guy who plays more. And I mean, he, he's got all the potential. Mike, you talk to Mike Bennett about him and he'll, he'll just rave about all the potential he has. Cause he, I mean, you look at the physical measurables, he's maybe better physically a better athlete than Michael Bennett, but Michael Bennett's just so off the charts and the way he plays a position that, you know, no one's saying Frank Clark is Michael Bennett right now, but he's the ceiling is really high on him. Yeah, and I found out today that initially he was recruited to go to Michigan to play tight, tight end. end. Right? Yeah. Yes, I was not really even remembering that part of the story, yeah, which he gave no consideration to, well, he said. Good was, for him. Thanks, yes, yeah. he was always going to be on the defensive line because he knew he had talent and wanted to show it. So we've talked about offense, we've talked about defense, and every once in a while we touch on special teams, but it does seem like special teams is much more of a headline this week. What do we have going on outside of a long snapper that is positioned in the middle of the linebackers? Yeah, I thought thought his locker place was weird, but this time of year (laughs) you just got to fit him in where you can. So, yeah, he's – a former, former, uh, he was a tight end in college, and he's uh, out of Harvard. So you figure he can pick up whatever he needs to learn pretty quickly. But yeah, they brought in Tyler Ott. Unfortunately for Nolan Freeze, his season's over because of that ankle injury. Um, you know, give the guy credit for battling through it. He was not right at all physically in that game, but he got him through it. So now you bring a new guy in, and you just hope it's a smooth. I mean, it's one of those positions you talk about offensive linemen. You talk about the officials. They're the kind of guys. You don't want to notice them. You, right. We don't want to know it. We want to go through Sunday's. I'm sorry. We want to go through Saturday's game and not be talking about the long snapper at all. Um, then the other big special teams news: Devin Hester. Uh, you know, an all timer. I'm sure he's going to be the first to admit he's probably lost a step. He's 34 years old, but the thing is, you don't necessarily need him to be Tyler Lockett. You don't need him to be hitting the home run. You just want somebody who's going to be safe back there, do the right thing, and get you some yards, that'd be great, but mostly just be solid. Well, and that's kind of what I was going to ask, because I know that a lot of people are looking at that, and they're thinking about him as, you know, kind of that home run ball, yeah, right? 20 you know, touchdowns, 20 right. career touchdowns. But before he was cut this year, he'd also had five fumbles with the Ravens, and he couldn't stick with New England when he got a workout with the Patriots. So... Yeah. Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't know. We'll we'll hear we haven't heard from any coaches about this yet. We'll see what they're saying about him, but I'm I'm guessing they're banking on his longer track record versus a few, you know, maybe rough outings for the Ravens. I, I do know of those fumbles. He only actually lost one of them, so some of those might just be the you know, muff punt variety, which you still don't want to have, but 
those don't always kill you. But yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, this guy's been really great at it for a long time, and I think they're probably you know they worked him out. Obviously, they know what mm-hmm. they're getting, so I'm sure they feel comfortable with him. Well, and a safe option and a way to keep one of your other guys safe, right? Exactly. Because if Richard, Richard Sherman, Sherman back is back there, and I think you know, I heard you make the point earlier. Look. They can tell him to just fair catch it all they want, but given the chance, He's, it'd be hard for yeah. Sherm not it's to make a play, right? It's hard for any player, right? but especially you, you got a defensive player with a little bit of an offensive background in him. We, we, we saw him that trick play last year where he returned a punt. He's... You know, he would love to get to show what he can do, and so it's you know he's it's not always easy to convince those guys to do the safe thing versus I mean they they're confident in their ability for good reason. So uh, if you don't have him out there taking unnecessary hits, that's probably best for your defense. Yeah, yeah, I think that that is a safe move. Although, as you point out, it was interesting locker placement today. That that locker room is full. You usually don't have so many changes at the end of a season going into the playoffs, but. Man, they are like bursting at the seams. Yeah, a lot of guys on IR, unfortunately. So it's it's a crowded room. But when it's time to look ahead to next year, there'll be some nice pieces that we can talk about for next year. And if we are going to touch on that, there's a chance that a few changes could be made on the coaching staff just because they get opportunities with other teams. And while that would be tough to lose a coach, Pete Carroll's actually – He's coming okay all for that. it. Yeah, and you know, this goes back to one of the core philosophies for him. It all boils down to, as he puts it, helping guys be the best they can be. And if you're going to stay true to that, you can't tell an assistant coach, you can't, no, I'm not going to let you pursue this job. Now it has to be in the right parameters, and you know, whether it's Tom Cable, Daryl Bevel, Chris Richard, their first priority has to be getting ready for this game. But if they can free up a few hours to interview for a job, Pete Carroll's not only going to let him do that, but he's going to help him in whatever way if they want to talk to him about the interview process, if they want to talk to him about what it's like to build a coaching staff. He's available to him because, A, he just believes it's the right thing to do and the best way to run his program. But, B, eventually you're going to be hiring new coaches, whether it's because guys leave in that capacity or whatever happens. It's a lot easier to recruit the best coaches, to bring a guy in, if they know, okay, this guy has my best interest in mind, he's not going to block me from getting a job, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I just think that that's such a, a good way to run any organization, it is. whether it's a football team, whether it's a corporation. Um, yeah, you want to make people good. And this is not just a process for people kind of on the outside. This is not something that they're cramming into a week right? The interviews might happen during the course of a week, but there are opportunities for these coaches to lead in different ways during the course of the season, ways that if they show an interest in doing more, Pete will allow them to do more, you know, and and he will, you know, have them go through different situations and kind of talk through, well, what would you do in this situation? If you were the head coach, how would you handle this? So it's not like all of a sudden this is a cram session for an interview. No, no, no. This has been happening slowly during the course of the year or yeah. years. Yeah, there's some coaches who don't want the pressure and the spotlight of being a head coach. And if, if a guy comes in here and just wants to be an assistant, Pete Carroll's going to let him do that. But if he gets a sense from talking to a young coach that they have head coaching aspirations, he's talked about that before, how he'll he'll bring them in and let them, you know, kind of go through illustrations of, okay, what would you do here? How would you do this? And, you know, and it's not just the X's and O's stuff. It's when you're the head coach is dealing with all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. So, 
um, you're right. It's not. It's an ongoing process for these guys. Yeah, and we hope that the season continues to be ongoing for the Seahawks as they will host the Detroit Lions in the first round of the playoffs. Seattle has won nine consecutive home playoff games. I would love to see them stretch that streak this week, which means that next week. That would be great. That would be great. That's a nice round number. Yeah, 10 in a row. And then next week we could come in and talk about it. We can talk about Atlanta. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, though. As uh, we leave you this week, make sure that you listen to the game Saturday evening on the Seahawks Radio Network and check out everything John has to offer on Seahawks.com. And one way or the other, we'll be back with you next week. 